This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فاذكروني أذكركم واشكروا لي ولا تكفرون يا أيها الذين آمنوا استعينوا بالصبر والصلاة إن الله مع الصابرين اللهم اجعلنا مع الصابرين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلو العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم أما بعد we are now entering into um, the next section of the discussion in Surah Al-Baqarah. This section of ayat is roughly from 152 to 164. We won't get through to the end of that today, but we'll cover quite a bit of ground inshallah. Just an overview of what we're dealing with now. The long passage on the change of the Qibla is now done. And the everything entailing how from Jerusalem we pray towards Jerusalem and now we're praying towards the Kaaba, that discussion is now over. From it, there's a transition into a long passage yet again. This is a fairly long passage, which deals with um, a number of things. They center around one common theme, and that is trial. That the believers are going to be put through a lot of difficult tests. And their patience will be tested, and they're going to be tested in terms of the rizq. Later on, we'll see even today, وَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ So there are going to be ayat like that that are coming. Then there are going to be some surprising ayat whose connection is difficult to see at first. For example, Allah will talk about some of the rituals that we do at Hajj, like inna safa wal marwata min sha'a'irillah, right? And that's all actually technically very beautifully connected. Uh, and in that discourse, you're also going to find illusory references. Allah is dropping hints that you have to get ready to fight. And the reason for that I've made obvious before, I'll make quick reference to it. Now that we're praying in a different direction, we're praying towards the Kaaba, and the Kaaba is still hijacked by the mushrikun of Mecca. They've got idols surrounding it, uh, and they're doing all kinds of shirk there. It's inconceivable for the Muslims to continue to pray towards Mecca and not think about liberating and clearing, cleaning up the Kaaba that was supposed to be purified, as was the original intent from Ibrahim and Ismail alayhim as-salam, an tahira baytiya lit-ta'ifin wal-akifin sujud but it also happens to be the case that the Meccans are the most powerful force in the region. The most well-guarded, well-defended, and well-respected force in the region. And so there's going to be trial ahead. If you're going to go accomplish this mission, it's not going to be easy. I want to start today by actually making reference to the last ayah we discussed. There are some nuances of it that I, I felt strongly I should share again. The ayah is 152. Then remember me. And the conditional statement means, they, then remember me, and if you do, it's kind of implied, and if you do, I'll remember you, and be grateful to me, and don't be ungrateful. That seems like there's some redundancy in the ayah. The first part is, remember me, I'll remember you. That's fine. Then he says, be grateful to me. Uh, that should have been enough. But then he says, don't be grateful to me, and don't be ungrateful. وَلَا تَكْفُرُونَ Right? And the last part of it, لَا تَكْفُرُونَ is ashad because the noon is missing ayah. لَا تَكْفُرُونِي it's la takfurun, which is actually in a sense more emphatic. It's a higher form of speech here. So what what is going on inside of this ayah? Just a couple of things that I'd like to share. 
Uh, the first of them is this reciprocal relationship. You remember me, I'll remember you. That's what he said in the beginning. Remember me and I'll remember you. Like Allah Azza wa Jal says, in ذَكَرَنِي فِي مَلَئِن ذَكَرْتُهُ فِي مَلَئِن خَيْرٍ مِّنْهُ You know, so uh, in a hadith Qudsi he mentions, if he mentions me, if my slave mentions me in a gathering, I will mention him in a gathering much better than this than the one he has. Right, so that's one direct implication. Uh, of course, the Rasul of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when he's mentioned, when anyone's mentioned by Allah Himself, they're elevated. So, for instance, the fact that anybody's mentioned in the Quran, believers are mentioned in the Quran, is a status raised for the believer. Allah spoke of you. You know, we speak of Allah, but it's completely different when Allah is speaking of us. Or, for instance, how Musa alayhi salam is highlighted and so honored because Allah He's the most mentioned messenger in the Quran. Right, so the, when Allah mentions someone, that, and Allah is remembering someone, by the way, dhikr that means two things, it means to remember, it also means to mention. So Allah says, mention me and I'll mention you also. Or remember me and I'll remember you. Um, so that implies that Allah is gonna honor. And though in, in the sense, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We elevated your mention for you. That ayah, when Rasul is told, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ It means a couple of things. It means people are gonna remember the Prophet Allah elevated his mention in this world. Every adhan says, "Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah," and we all say, "Sallallahu alaihi wasallam." That's one meaning. Also means Allah has elevated the mention of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, but with Himself, not just that He elevated His mention that we mention Him, but Allah Himself mentions Him. You know, in Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi. Allah Himself, no doubt, and the angels are sending salawat upon the Prophet So Allah is mentioning us, remembering us. The other side note that I'd like to mention is remembering. What's the opposite of remembering? Forgetting. And forgetting seems like a flaw. Like, by the way, people who remember are, the act of remembrance suggests that you didn't remember before and now you remember. Right? Oh, I just remembered, which means previously I had what? Forgotten. And attributing that to Allah seems a problem. Because Allah never forgets. لا يضل ربي ولا ينسى Allah doesn't get confused, Allah doesn't forget. So for the, the idea that Allah remembers seems a bit strange at first glance. Like, what do you mean Allah remembers? Allah always remembers. You know? Understand that remembering and forgetting have two meanings. Remembering and forgetting have to do with memory. That's one thing, right? So I remember to park my car or take the keys or I remember what I had to say, I forgot what I had to say. But there's another definition of forgetting. And from forgetting, you'll understand. Man, forget that guy. What does that mean? Ignore him. Dismiss him. Right? Allah Azza wa Jal even says in the Quran, فَنَسِيَهُمْ Allah forgot them. Does that mean they're not in Allah's memory anymore? No, that's not what that means. That means Allah has dismissed them now. Literally, how you say nowadays, forget you. Forget you does not mean you are no longer part of my memory. I don't know your name anymore and... I don't know what you look like. It means I don't, I don't care for you anymore. I'm dismissing you. So just like that, mentioning someone and remembering someone has that implication. Not just that someone's being remembered, but someone's being thought of, consciously cared about. Someone's being given consideration. And that's the implication. You care for me. You care to remember me. You acknowledge me and I'll acknowledge you. فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ The other interesting thing in the, about the Qur'an, Allah says, فِيهِ ذِكْرُكُمْ Qur'an has your mention. Remembering Allah, mentioning Allah, the best form of dhikr is Qur'an itself. That's actually the implication from the previous ayah. يَطْلُوا عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتِنَا وَيُزَكِّيكُمْ وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةِ The Messenger came and gave you this revelation. Therefore, remember me. This revelation has come. 
So remember me, meaning this revelation has come, remember me through this revelation. That's what the implication is. That's why Qur'an itself is called dhikr. So when he says here, remember me, it's actually equals, remember the Qur'an. Make mention of the Qur'an, recite the Qur'an, because that's how you will remember me. This is why Qur'an says, in huwa illa dhikrun. It is nothing but the remembrance itself. That's what it is. وَذَكِّرْ بِالْقُرْآنِ مَنْ يَخَافُ وَعِيدٌ Remind with Qur'an, the one who is afraid of Allah's threat. So when Allah says, فَذْكُرُونِي Remember me, and I'm putting in parentheses, remember me through this revelation. أَذْكُرْكُمْ I'll mention you. I'll remember you. Guess what? That's also through this revelation. When you're reciting the Qur'an, you're not just learning about Allah, who else are you learning about? Yourself. You're not just reading a story about something that happened thousands of years ago, you're actually learning a story of yourself. Allah is actually mentioning you. Allah is actually remembering you. Fihi dhikrukum. So fadhkuruni adhkurkum. This relationship between us and Allah is actually practically the relationship between us and the Quran. In one sense it is dua, of course. We make dua to Allah, Allah remembers us. That's the implication. But in the passage, a beautiful implication here is actually the, the essence of our relationship with the Quran itself. Quran is the way by which Allah mentions us. And the way by which we mention Allah. It does both of those things. Allah talks to us and we talk to Allah. Notice exactly this in the Fatiha. What happens in the Fatiha? We mention Allah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. Right? We, we, uh, we, 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 we we're describing Allah Azza wa Jal, and then He tells us what to say, and we engage in conversation with Him. So what's happening is this reciprocity happening between the slave and the master. Even inside the Fatiha, it's a conversation. And that's فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ Mention me, I'll mention you. You got, you know, and, and later on actually we're gonna see a reference, an illusory reference to the Fatiha here once again. But anyway, now I come to وَشْكُرُولِي uh, And the, the, the first thing to appreciate here, when Allah says, remember me, I'll remember you and thank me. There's a sequence. And the sequence is remembrance followed by thanks. That's the sequence. Remembrance first, thanks second. How do we understand the sequence? I'll give you a silly example to help you understand this. And I think it'll, it'll stick in your minds better that way. Um, somebody is living away from their parents. And they're busy with school, work, whatever. They forget to call, they forget to you know, write, they forget to text, FaceTime, anything. They're not in touch. Then it hits them. Somebody just, they're at a restaurant with their friend, and their friend's like, yeah, I just talked to mom. Unbelievable what my mother did for me. How much my father worked and paid for my tuition. And I get to be here. The least I can do is call them every day. And this guy sitting there is just going... I am scum. I don't even call my mom and dad. I haven't even talked to them in weeks. What just happened? He remembered his mother or father. When he remembered his mother or father, it brought to mind all the things he should be grateful for. You see? The first step was to remember. Once you remember, what, what comes to your consciousness? Gratitude. When it comes to your mother or your father, when you remember your mother and your father, and somebody reminds you of your mother and your father, the next emotion that takes over is how grateful you should be for what they did for you, for instance, right? The same way when someone forgets about Allah, then gratitude disappears. When someone starts remembering Allah, and rem- now you're understanding that remembering Allah is not artificial, it's not subhanAllah, 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 done. 
truly remembering Allah and who Allah is to you and what He does for you, what does that naturally do? It makes you grateful. Washkuruli. Be grateful to me. But there's yet another implication here. Three verbs. You have Fathkuruni, Washkuruli, Walatakfuruni. Three verbs. Remember me, be grateful to me, don't be ungrateful to me. Three verbs. And only one of them is responded to. One of them has a reaction, an action and reaction. Remember me, I'll remember you. So Allah responded to that one. Be grateful to me, there's no reaction. Don't be ungrateful, there's no reaction from Allah. It's not like, you know, be grateful to me, I'll, I'll reward you. Don't be ungrateful to me, I'll forgive you. Some, some, you know, uh, reciprocity should have been there, but it's not. Only one verb was responded to, the others weren't. This is important to note. It's important that three commandments are given, and only one of them Allah responds to. It actually suggests that the second two are an elaboration of the first. They're not three separate instructions, they're actually one instruction. What's that one instruction? Remember me, and I will remember you. And by the way, the fact that I will remember you, and the fact that I have given you the chance to remember me, with the best kind of remembrance, which is what? Qur'an. What should that make you? should make you grateful. You should be grateful that you have Qur'an. Later on, a few sessions from now, we're gonna to get to the ayat of the revelation of the Qur'an itself in Ramadan. Shahru Ramadan, alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. Qur'an, I already call, told you, is called dhikr. That ayah begins with revelation of Qur'an, and ends with la'allakum tashkurun. So you could be grateful. The fact that we have the gift of revelation, the fact that this gift of revelation gives us a chance to talk to Allah, and lets us hear how Allah is talking to us. It does both of those things. It is, this revelation is actually a conversation with Allah. There's nothing greater that we, you and I can be grateful for. This is why this is a ni'mah. So I may complete my favor. Whenever you mention ni'mah, what comes with it? Shukr. That's what comes with it. So dhikr here, that, that, that relationship with the Quran and I, the fact that I'm gonna remember you too, it's gonna be a complete whole conversation, is what you should be grateful to me for. Washkuruli. Be grateful to me. This is the, 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 the commitment you and I must have to the Qur'an. Now, but then why add, وَلَا تَكْفُرُونَ And don't be ungrateful. Because you know, when you say, uh, you know, be grateful, then you don't have to add, don't be ungrateful. When you say, stop the car, you don't have to say, stop the car, don't move the car. You can just say, stop the car. You don't have to give the opposite instruction. There's one, there's a couple of ways Mufassirun have looked at it. Essentially, all of them bring it down to one, which is, this is a very strong way of saying it, right? That's one way that's been interpreted, is be grateful and don't be ungrateful is a very strong way of Allah saying, be grateful, be really, really grateful. Because it's said in every possible way. I would argue there's something more going on here, Allahu Ta'ala Alam. I would argue what's happening here is, right now, as this has been brought to your conscience, you are going to be grateful. But in the future, remember not to fall into ingratitude again. So one commandment, washkuruli, is actually immediate. Wala takfurun is, and from here on out, don't fall into ingratitude again. Don't be ungrateful again. It's like keeping you constant, keeping you going on this constancy. And that's, uh, to me, that, that's important to note because how are we going to remain grateful? That requires consistency. What is the Arabic word for consistency? Anyone know? Sabr. Patience is not the only meaning of the word sabr, it's also consistent. So if someone is sabr, 
then actually means the way they are today, they'll continue to persevere and remain that way tomorrow as well. It's no surprise then that the next ayah is, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الصَّحْبِرِينَ It's actually now Allah said, remember me. And I'll mention you. Be grateful. Don't fall into ingratitude again. How are you going to fulfill that? There's this challenge that's been given by Allah. How are you going to live up to that? The answer to that beautifully is in the next ayah. Those of you who have iman, seek aid with sabr. And, and I would argue here that tawa is bayaniya, which means seek aid with patience, perseverance. That is to say prayer. Seek aid with perseverance, i.e. prayer. It's not patience and prayer. A lot of translations also say patience and prayer. And they look at tawaw as atif. I would, I'm far more convinced that this is bayaniya. You know, cause what happens in our religion is that there are many abstract principles. Patience, gratitude. These are abstract things. And what our religion does is it gives you a practical exercise that can take that abstract idea and bring it practically into your life. The salah brings a few of those abstracts into your life. For example, how do you guard character? How do you maintain decency? In the salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar. Right? How do you truly remember Allah? Aqimis salata li dhikri. Here, what's the way to seek Allah's help? Allah will help you when you develop patience. Well, how do you get patience? Patience is to say, salat itself. You know? And salah itself, it will give you patience and it requires patience. It's both the prerequisite and the result at the same time. Which is why Allah says, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا Tell your family to pray and be very firm and constant in that commandment to your family. And be firm yourself with prayer. Be, be constant yourself with prayer. Now here, what I wanted to sh- share with you, إِسْتَعِينُ بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ is not the first time we're getting these words. The Israelites were told these way back. You know, we've, we've come a long way in the journey of Baqarah. Now we're dealing with this ummah, cause kadalika ja'annakum ummatan wasata. But the previous ummah was told, wasta'inu bis sabri was salah, wa innaha la kabiratun illa ala al-khashi'een. We already read this ayah a while ago. Be, seek aid with patience, that is to say prayer, and it's a huge thing except on those who are truly fearful. Now Allah says, instead of innaha la kabiratun illa ala al-khashi'een, He says, inna allaha ma'as sabirin. Seek help and seek Allah's aid with perseverance, with constancy, that is to say prayer, certainly Allah is with those who are patient and and persevering. Now we're going to dig into the difference between these two. By saying this, actually one thing Allah has already told us, the Muslims, is that we are fearful of Allah. We are the khashi'een that were talked about before. But now even the khashi'een have to be told, it's not just khushu' you need. The, the, the ones who are in awe of Allah and khushu' of Allah, you need strength. This what I'm about to get into might get too abstract, so I'll give you an image. And that image will help you understand the concept. You have uh, soil. And if you put water in the soil, and you let the soil get plenty of sun, and it's in, the, in a perfect, you know, a, a produce, health, you know, a produce-friendly environment, nothing is growing. Why not? You don't just need soil. What do you need? You need a seed. The seed needs to be there. We, and by the way, once the seed is allowed to grow, it grows and it comes, its roots are deep inside the ground, but it grows and eventually grows into a tree and produces fruit, fruit and all of it, right? When we work on ourselves, when I work on my patience, when I work on my sense of gratitude, when I work on my attitude, when I work on my remembrance, when I work on these things on myself, work on my greed, work on my temptation, when I'm working on these things, I'm preparing the soil. That's what I'm doing. I'm working on myself. Who does it affect? Yeah, the, the soil is pretty soft. 
It's got plenty of water. But our deen is not just about bettering yourself. Our deen is about better helping. Now that you're bettered, you're well produced, you must actually have a seed in you that grows. And when it grows, it benefits who? Others. The soft soil on its own is not our goal. That is a means to a larger end. For Allah, you and I have to improve ourselves because you and I have to be of service to others, to Allah and to the to, to humanity. We have to be of service. So even tazkiyah has a goal. Even our, our own cleansing has a goal. Salah itself has a goal. Now previously, the Israelites were told, you've lost even the, the exercise of cleansing yourselves. You have no fear of Allah left. So you need to go back to patience and prayer. We however, were just given a mission. In these ayat, we were just given a mission. Our prayer direction was changed from Jerusalem to Kaaba. We have a mission in front of us or no? If you have a mission in front of you, and you have to accomplish that mission, you better be equipped yourself to do it. What's that equipment? Salah. But salah is just there to give you the strength you need to do that mission. Salah is not the mission right now. Salah is actually, at the end of the day, by the way, it will also be our mission. Because why are we cleansing the Kaaba? So that we can have purified salah. That's actually why. But so the means is the end. It's not even a means to the end. What you need, and, and it's so beautiful in our religion, if somebody died, and some sahabi died, they never got to see the Kaaba without idols. And did that happen? There were sahaba who died on the battlefield, never got to see the Kaaba without idols. Are they also successful? Yeah, because you know what the ultimate success is in the Qur'an? قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِرُونَ They already had salah. They already had salah. What are we learning about salah? Salah is our ultimate key to success in the afterlife, but salah is also our ultimate key to success for the worldly goals Allah gave. The worldly goal Allah gave was the liberation of Kaaba, and the first weapon He handed the believer is sabr through salah. Sabr through salah. Okay? So now, the other interesting thing, a few beautiful things that have happened in these ayat. The next is that, you know, the, the two constants, constant values that you have to be balanced, have to be balanced inside of your personality, are sabr and shukr. Practically speaking, a person is going through a lot of difficulty, they need sabr. What will give them sabr? Shukr. How does that work? Well, if I got really, really sick... Somebody comes and tells me, be patient. Ah, I know, I'm patient, but it still hurts. Uh, except if I focus my mind and my heart on things that are still going well. Alhamdulillah, could have been a lot worse. Alhamdulillah, there's khair in this. There's shukr. And when you develop that shukr, it makes you makes what easier? Sabr easier. Okay, it makes sabr easier. So those two things are interdependent. They are like, like Ibn Qayyim would describe, two wings of a bird. You need sabr and you need shukr. Notice previously, what did we have? Washkuruli wala takfurun. Shukr is already covered. One wing is already there. What's the other wing? Sabr. And now in this next ayah, Ya yuhalladina amanu sta'inu bis sabri So beautiful. Like everything just kept, keeps tying together, keeps tying together. Notice also here, Allah says, seek help. Ista'inu. This word should be familiar to every Muslim because they recite it every single day. In every Fatiha, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ This word is part of the Fatiha. And the Fatiha, interestingly, has another name. The Fatiha's other name, given by the Prophet himself, وسلم, is Salah. The other name of the Fatiha is what? 
salah. Qasamtu salata baini wa baina abdi nisfain. I divided salah into two halves, the hadith says. And then actually the division is the division of the fatiha. Not of the salah, but of the fatiha. What does that mean? Salah essentially is what? Fatiha. Because salah actually means prayer, a, a, a supplication. And what's the ultimate prayer? The fatiha itself. Notice here what Allah did. Seek help using salah. Those two words are now combined again. The association is built in, in, uh, in ourselves again. So, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَاةِ I want to now give you one, one or two more examples of how this isti'ana is done in the Qur'an. When tough times come, what advice does Allah give to the Prophet ﷺ? His child died. His uncle laughed. One of the most painful memories in the Prophet's life, والسلام, And in the middle of all of that, Allah revealed, Yes, you've lost a child, but I've given you kawthar instead. Yeah? What should you do? What's the next ayah after, Pray. How's he gonna find sabr? And by the way, he has to have sabr over losing the child. He has to have shukr over kawthar. He has to have both. Where is he going to get it from? Salli Rabbik. You find people said all kinds of horrible things to Rasulullah Wasallam. They made all kinds of insults. Be patient over whatever they're saying. And continue to declare Allah's perfection before the sun comes down. You know? or before the sun rises rather, and right before it sets, Fajr and Maghrib time. What is Allah talking about here? Be patient over what they say, and especially turn to me in times when day and night change. The rising of the sun and the falling of the sun. That's when you come and remember me. Why? Why? It's very beautiful like imagery in that ayah. Basically Fajr and Maghrib, right? Fajr and Maghrib, if you notice, the sky color looks the same. It's actually a very similar time of the day. It's also a day, it's a time that symbolizes magnificent change. On the one hand, darkness is being turned into light. And on the other hand, light is being turned into darkness. Changing situations are in Allah's hands. Changing circumstances are entirely in Allah's hands. So right now, things are looking gloomy for you. Later on, things will become lighter for you again. And then after they become lighter, there may be another trial again. And then another ease again. And another, another difficulty and another ease. And that's your life, isn't it? Our life is not going to be, we come out of one problem, and Allah gives us ease, no more problems. There's going to be tulu'u shams, and there's going to be hurub. And to deal with all of it, what do you have to do? Salah. You're going to have to go back to salah. So Rasulullah is being told, no matter what they say, just, you've got salah. You've got salah. And that's actually what sabr is here. Sabr is, I'm going to have the strength to deal with all of this when I have salah. Now, I, I go back to what, see how everything is tied together so far. I want to share a few more things with you on the, on these connections. Uh, uh, Musa salam. What mission was he given? Challenge who? Fir'aun. And he asked for support. And the support Allah gave him his brother, Harun. He asked for his brother, Allah gave him his brother. He gave him a bunch of miracles. You know the miracles Allah gave Musa salam. And now go to Fir'aun. اِذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَأَخُوكَ بِآيَاتِ Go you and your brother with my miracles. The ayah should be done. No, no, no. You don't have the ultimate weapon yet. You can't just go you and your brother and my miracles and that's enough. The ayah concludes 
Don't get lazy in remembering me. Don't lose sight of my dhikr. This exercise of going to challenge Fir'aun is a political exercise, it's a debate exercise, it's a confrontational exercise, it's not a spiritual exercise. It's not. But Allah says, the only way you'll be able to accomplish that worldly goal of challenging the world's greatest emperor of the time, perhaps of all time, of challenging him. Remember one thing though, don't get lazy in doing dhikr of me. Musa alayhi salam is so clear about this, when he asked for his brother, you know what he said? Why do I need my brother? So we can defeat the enemy? He said, كَيْ نُسَبِّحَكَ كَثِيرًا وَنَذْكُرَكَ كَثِيرًا Ya Allah, give me my brother so we can do tasbih of you much and remember you much. Because if we remember you, what's the equation given here? You remember Allah, what does He do? He remembers you. And when He remembers you, you're fine. He doesn't ignore you, He doesn't overlook you, He's protecting you, He's got you covered, He'll see you through. All you gotta do is remember Him. That's all you gotta do. Dr. Akram Nadwi put this so beautifully, when the Rasul ﷺ started his mission, and there was no resources, the only, the only equipment Allah gave him is, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ Dhikr, recite. That's what you should do. And then in the middle of his mission, when things got tough, what did Allah tell him? Pray. When he completed his mission ﷺ, when in the worldly sense, Kaaba is liberated, the enemy has been defeated, People are entering into the deen in huge numbers. Now what? Now that the mission's accomplished, what do you do now? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرُ Dhikr again? Do tasbih of your Rabb, do istighfar. That's what salah is. Tasbih and istighfar, that's what it is. The beginning of our struggle, the middle of our struggle, and the end of our struggle is all just salah. It's all just dhikr. That's all it is. Which is why the believer, no matter what state we are in, Politically, economically, whatever situation the Muslims are in, whether you're alone or in the millions, when you have salah, you've already succeeded. That's when it makes sense. Qadaflahal mu'minun. That's when that makes sense. What a powerful gift Allah Azza wa Jalla has given us in, inside of the salah. Now tying this back to what what came before. What are we supposed to be grateful for? What did I say? Of, of so many things in the context of these ayat. What are we grateful for? The coming of revelation. The coming of revelation. Now keep that idea in your mind. The next thing Allah has mentioned is, sabr will come to you by what institution? Salah. And salah, what's the other word for it? No, salah, the other, the other name for it the Prophet gave. Fatiha. Fatiha. Fatiha is Qur'an, isn't it? After Qur'an, what do you recite? More Qur'an. Salah, the heart of salah is Qur'an itself. The heart of salah is Qur'an itself. What are we learning? Qur'an itself will give you sabr. Quran doesn't just give you shukr. Quran gives you sabr. It gives you the strength to deal with whatever circumstance. It give, it builds inside you the confidence that Allah is there. It builds inside you the hope that things will get better. It builds inside you the belief that Allah will give you the ability to deal with whatever it is that's coming in front of you. All of it comes to you from salah. And that's when you appreciate, إِنَّ اللَّهَ مَعَ الصَّابِرِينَ No doubt about it, Allah is with those who have sabr. He's already said He remembers them. And now he says he's with them, with the people who show sabr. Our sabr, our constant constancy is going to come with salah. Now, I want to give you an image here again, just because I, I like imagery, and I like how Qur'an paints its imagery. My, one of my favorite images about the Qur'an itself is actually from Surah Al-Kahf, the first ayah. When Allah says, وَلَمْ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ عِوَجًا 
He didn't put any crookedness in the Qur'an, any deviation in the Qur'an. You know, when you have a flood, everything is flowing in the flood, everything is moving. And you have a, even a pole or something like that. Over time, what can happen to it? It can start bending from the pressure, right? In that flood, you have Qur'an. You have this al-urwat al-wuthqa. You have this chain, this anchor that's been dropped down. And you're holding on to this chain. Everything else around you is moving, going downhill. It's rolling away. So long as you're holding on to this, you are in place. You are persevering. You are constant. Qur'an actually becomes a way by which we stand in our place. You know, dua is thabbit aqdamana. Make our feet firm. Plant our feet. You know, this is actually what we're asking Allah to do. Understand the parallel to the culture we live in today. Values are changing so fast. The political climate changes so fast. The cultural climate changes so fast. You know, right now we're in this, you know, election cycle mode. So everybody's depressed about what's happened and what's going to happen with the Muslims and why is the Canadian immigration website still down and all of that, right? That's, that's what we're thinking about right now. What a few months ago we were thinking about how the president was celebrating uh, you know, uh, some homosexual athlete that, you know, uh, from the NBA or something, and how this is now becoming part of our schools, and it's being celebrated, and what, how are we supposed to respond? How are our college kids supposed to respond to these questions? That was the big question. There are gonna be, uh, there's gonna be cultural attacks, there's gonna be political attacks, there's gonna be economic attacks, there's gonna be all kinds of waves that are gonna come and hit us, slap us really, really hard. Then there's gonna be some attack on Islam, or attack on the Prophet ﷺ, or attack on the Quran, you know. There's gonna be one thing or another that's gonna hit us. And when these things hit us, we fall under pressure and say, maybe it's time to not hold on so tight. This is actually what the, the meaning here is, istainu bis sabri wa salah. When you're standing in salah, what are you actually doing? You forget about everything and everyone, it's just you and Allah and that's it, isn't it? Think about what that means. Now you don't care about what the latest fashion is. You don't care about other people's opinion of you. You don't care about what your boss thinks, or what the person driving next to you thinks, or how the cashier looks at you, or the people at a plane look at you, or how the politicians look at you. You don't care about any of it. Because you're standing in front of who? Allah. All you care about is what Allah thinks. All the social pressure disappeared, all the peer pressure disappeared, all the fear disappeared, because that fear of people is replaced by fear of Allah. The love, the love of pleasing people has been replaced by the love of pleasing Allah. Your priorities, whatever they were, have now been clarified by the word of Allah that you stand and recite in salah. Everything was taken away because you were taken into a different world where you were connected with Allah. When that connection is severed, when that connection is cut, then your fear, your love, your, your aspirations, your hopes, your sadness, all of it will be determined by people. All of your fear will come from people. Your sadness will come from people. Your happiness will, you look for it falsely in people. Your hopes will come from people. You know? Your aspirations, your future will come from people. You want to be someone who pleases other people. A lot of people who I've talked to that used to hold on to their religion and don't hold on to it anymore. Common thread. People around them. I can't do, I feel weird in my office praying. I feel just, I just don't want to be the only one on campus wearing a hijab or something. I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be so much fear of people, so much want of acceptance. This is what, 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 what salah cuts off. It slices it out of your system. If salah is really there, it slices that out of your system. You become inna Allah ma'as sabirin. Allah is with the sabirin. You don't need anybody else with you now. 
Allah is with those who have this. Who else do you need with you? And by the way, this trial that Allah speaks about now, I told you, the Qibla has just changed. The Muslims have to be mentally prepared for a coming conflict. Allah doesn't beat around the bush. Notice, I'll, I'll, I'll break it for you, the next two ayat. The second of these ayat, the one that's not next, it's the one after that one, is وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصِ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ We're gonna test you with all kinds of things. Okay, we're gonna test you with fear, you'll be in scary situations, with hunger, with loss of money, loss of people, and fruits. These are things that we'll talk about in some detail, but شَيْءٍ min means any kind of degree, maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. And those tests will come from any way, shape, or form. But before Allah mentions, I should be mentally prepared for these trials, what's the first thing? لا تقولوا لمن يقتل في سبيل الله أموات Don't you say about, don't you dare say about those who are being killed in Allah's path, dead is all they are. Ah, died. Amwat. It's not even a complete sentence. No, this is just a khabar. It's actually hum amwat. It's just a khabar. Ah, dead. It's like their story is finished. Not even worth mentioning what happened with them. Why would Allah mention those who got killed in the path of Allah? I would think, look at the logical expectation. The expectation is, you're gonna have little trials, like hunger and fear. Then you're gonna have more trials like loss and fruit. Eventually you might even be killed. The killing thing, being killed, should be the last thing mentioned. He starts with that one. <laughs> By the way, have sabr. And don't say about those who are being killed in Allah's path that they're dead. Why did he start with that? Allah Azza wa gives the best orientations. I want you to be clear, Muslims, what you've signed up for. When you're handing me your life, I've purchased it. Which means I can, I'll make you committed to this religion, even if it costs you your life. You better be mentally prepared. And those who die along this path, don't, be tra- don't think that that's a tragedy. That's the best kind of death they could possibly have. Shahada is the best kind of death they could possibly have. Balahya, how? No, 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 they're alive. Now, the question arises, like Ibn Ashur raises, everybody's alive after death. We, we don't, we believe in life after death, don't we? So when you die and you're being buried, your ruh is still there. There's still the life of Barzakh. There's still a kind of life going on. But why is Allah saying about those especially who died in Allah's path, they're alive? Ibn Ashur and other scholars would comment, this is Allah's way of saying their life is not like anybody else's. There is a life after, the, after death. There is. In our graves, there is a kind of life. But the kind of life the people who are being killed in Allah's path have, cannot be compared. That's what Allah calls ahya. No, 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 alive. Like as if to say alive and well. Later on in the Qur'an, Allah will give us hints about what happens in that life. Allah will say things like, وَيَسْتَبْشِرُونَ بِالَّذِينَ لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ These shuhada, they hang out with each other. <laughs> they're dead, and they're hanging out with each other. And they're talking about people who are still alive. And saying, hey, they haven't even, I hope they join us soon. لَمَّا يَلْحَقُوا بِهِمْ مِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ They're congratulating each other about those who haven't joined them yet behind them. You know how you have sports commentary? Pre-game commentary, right? They're like, they've already won the game. They already crossed the marathon. And they're rooting on the people who are still in the marathon, which means they, Allah has given them access to see what we're doing. There's some interesting, mysterious things about the shuhada that Qur'an kind of just drops hints about. 
That they're in a world all their own, and a life all their own, and a joy all their own. A hadith will tell us about a wind from Jannah that they receive, a glimpse of heaven that they receive. But that's not the only thing, you know. So Allah says, no, don't you say about those. And by, by the way, when this ayah was revealed, but that hasn't happened yet, right? But a couple of conflicts have happened. At the battle, at the, at the field of Badr, a couple of skirmishes between the Muslims and the Quraysh have already taken place. I'll give you guys a political analysis of them in our next session, inshallah. Not today, but in our next session. But for now, even, so a few people have been killed. The point is a few people have already been killed. So the idea that a conflict, a physical conflict is building between Medinans and Meccans is now clear. But Allah didn't say, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِمَنْ قُتِلَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Don't say about the one who was killed. He says, don't say about the one who's going to be killed. Who's being killed and is going to be killed. Allah is preparing the Muslims. It's coming. There are those among you that are going to go. And when they go, don't you say that they're dead. They're alive. Alive they are and you don't, you don't recognize it. You can't even feel it. This is why in Surah Al-Imran, when Allah charged the Muslims to go run towards the enemy in the battlefield, He said, سَابِقُوا إِلَى مَغْفِرَةٍ مِنْ رَبِّكُمْ Run, race to forgiveness. Instead of saying race to death. He said race to forgiveness. They don't see the enemy. They see forgiveness of Allah. That's what they see. He changed their view. Quran changed what they saw. You know, This is the mental preparation for the Medinan Muslim community of what is coming ahead. Don't you say about those who are going to be killed in Allah's path, dead. Ahya walakin la tashurun. By the way, that will come when it comes, meaning that, <coughs> that final trial will come when it comes, but well before then, wala nabluwannakum bishay. And we will absolutely gonna be, and we swear to it, absolutely, certainly, three layers of emphasis here, we are going to be putting you to a test. Bishayin, with anything at all which means in varying degrees, and it will come in any way, shape, or form. What kinds of tests will these be? What categories will they belong to? Min al-khawf. They'll have to do with fear. The Muslims are afraid of enemies of all, from all directions in Medina. There's the Quraysh, a looming threat. They're not sure about the loyalties of the Jewish tribes. That's already on the horizon. There are some random other Arab tribes who think it might be easy money to rob the Muslims. There are all kinds of, and then there's the, the, the munafiqun from the inside, who might even go as far as assassination attempts against the Prophet ﷺ. There's all kinds of threats. We, want, we are going to put you to, to trial with all kinds of tress, uh, uh, tests, well, uh, having to do with fear, and with hunger, which means we're going to go through economic difficulty. Okay? But notice these are timeless statements too. They're not just about Medina and Mecca. There are some timeless elements to, that, to them. Because... First, there's a fear against, for example, in our context, there's a fear towards Muslims. And the Muslims themselves are afraid of being, you know, attacked or being singled out or being discriminated against. As a natural result of that, they can't get jobs. Your name is Muhammad, Ahmad, Abdullah, Abdul Karim. Thanks for applying, Muhammad. Oh, you need Friday time off, I see. You need to pray, oh, okay. Clearly not going to make it to the job. I, you know, this is a relatively new problem. Actually not, it's been going on much before 9-11, but much more prominent since 9-11, right? The Muslims in the job market. It's been tough. And some companies have very good ethical policies towards this. Others don't. Others have very biased human resource departments. I had a friend of mine in the tech industry, used to be very, very prominent in his career before 9-11. And after his company was actually one that was uh, went bankrupt. 
and he started looking for another job. And he applied to like 30 different places, not a single call. This is the kind of guy that would get a job within 24 hours. Like there'd be people competing over him. Couldn't find a job. Arab name, what are you going to do? Changes his name as an experiment on one of the websites, on those resume sites. Same exact resume, same exact job, just change Yusuf to Joseph. You know? And, you know, Muhammad to Matthews. So Joseph Matthews, how's the job? Lined up. Same companies that he was applying to. Resumes, like interviews lined up. And he decided to go. Just to show them. I'm not working for you, but here I'd like you to see what you did. <laughs> you know? So you, ha- you, you, know, you get these situations. There are, there's going to be fear, and it's going to result in, uh, you know, in hunger. It's going to result in difficulty, in risk. And that's lesser now. First Allah says the worst case scenario, fear and hunger, meaning literally starvation, war-stricken places, that you can't find food and scraps to eat and things like that. That might, it might come to that. But even less than that, it might be you're not, you don't have the kind of money you used to have. وَلَنْفُسْ And you're gonna suffer loss of numbers too. Ibn Ashur would actually put all of this in the context of war. Even the previous ayah, he put in the context of war, among other mufassirun. Like you know, and said, when, when Allah said, don't say about those who have been killed in Allah's path that they're dead. And the previous ayah was that about salah. He literally paints the image of somebody praying janazah at the battlefield for someone who's died. And as they're praying janazah, they're thinking, this person died. And Allah's saying, no, they didn't die. You're praying janazah, but they're alive. You know, like he's fixing their mindset right then and there. And, and, or, you know, there's battle happening, and you know how you take turns and pray in battle? And you're, you're taking turns in prayer, and while you're praying, you're being told, you're gonna be tested with fear, and hunger, and numbers will go down, some of you will be killed. Wathamarat, and even future, and, and fruits. Fruits suggest future investments. You know? So the idea that you have money now, but there were fruits that were going to bear in the future. But even those have been destroyed. You know, for example, farmland is destroyed, trees are destroyed, people's businesses are destroyed sometimes. Thamarat is also children sometimes. Children that are very young, that were going to grow and become young men and be backbones of their families. They're killed, you know, in conflicts. So thamarat is, an ex- is a large expression for things we place hope in. Things whose sweetness eventually bears, bears fruit, literally, right? وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ Look, sabr came again. Congratulations to those who can have sabr. Already we learn where sabr comes from. Where does it come from? Salah. That it comes from salah. I, mean, I can't help myself. I've shared this story a thousand times, but I can't help myself. I, I'm remembering it again. Uh, family friends of mine from uh, New Orleans. I went to visit them after Katrina, right? And they used to be very well off. They used to have a dealership, a luxury car dealership, and the whole thing was destroyed in the flood when Katrina hit. Like the, all, and they're all, all their cars were cash. They didn't do credit cards. So all the luxury cars just into the water. The one car left was the one they escaped in. I remember it was an LS 450 or something. And he became a pizza delivery guy in the Lexus. The whole family just worked laborers at a pizza place to survive. And the, when I went and met the family, I thought that they'd be on antidepressants and like they'd be suicide. Because anybody else with that kind of money and then all of a sudden it disappears... They'll just take a whole bottle of Tylenol and be done with it. You know? These people were happy. And I talked to uncle, I just had him down. Like, How are you feeling? He goes, relieved. 
it was I used to have invoices, taxes, this bill, that bill, customer, delivery didn't come through, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm at the masjid five times a day. I feel so much more peace. This was a blessing. Where did he find his strength? Salah. That's where he found his strength. He, he just turns to Allah, he connects, and he's like, what more, what more can I ask for? What greater gift can I, get, can I get? All the other thamarat came and went. They'll come and go. But this one thing, this one thing, this connection you have, when this is severed, everything else is worthless. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ Those are the people that when, look at the inevitability for each one of us, إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ When any calamity strikes them, when anything that was always meant to hit them, hit them. Musiba, something that hits the target. Literally, right on target is called musiba in Arabic. Musibat in Urdu is kya musibat yaar? Like a calamity. But in Arabic, musiba is from asaba to hit the target correctly. From it you get, when you give an accurate answer to some a teacher, the teacher says sawab with a sad. Right? That's absolutely correct or accurate. Okay? When the exact calamity that was supposed to hit them, hit them. And when it hits them, qalu inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. They responded, we belong to Allah and to Him we have to return. That's one thing that will never change. Everything else will come and go. Everything I own, I will lose. And it will, you know, sometimes I'll gain it back again. But I'll never be going back to those things. And those things will never just come back to me. I will be going back to Allah. Everything else will go back to Allah too. Everything you and I own, we're gonna leave here. The clothes I'm wearing right now, this laptop, these cameras, whatever. Who's, there's somebody else's, it's gonna be in somebody else's hands eventually. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not today, Allah knows. Maybe 20 years from now, but it's not going to be mine. I can't take it, because I myself am property. Internalizing that, deeply internalizing that, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, is the most liberating thing you'll ever experience in your life. You'll never feel more freedom than when you truly internalize that you and I just belong to Allah without a doubt. Whenever a calamity strikes, what's the connection between a calamity striking and saying we belong to Allah? What's the connection between those two things? When something bad happens to you, I'll give you a simple example. You go to a, you uh, went to a vacation and you were registering at the hotel. You signed, you paid for it in advance, and you go there and this is sir, we have no re- you know, reservation. I flew here. I came here and I paid for it. Here's my receipt. Oh, sorry, we're overbooked. We could put you in the closet though. That's still available. At that time, you're angry. You want to speak to the manager? You're... Happens, right? And you have a right to be angry. You paid for it. That's fine. But you know what? Anytime a calamity hits, the first reminder, I'm not entitled to anything. What do you mean I paid? I, I didn't. It's not my money. Whatever difficult... And when people do you wrong, you have a right to seek justice. But sometimes we get angry over things that... It's not people. It's not people. It's some flight got delayed because of weather. Come on. I needed to get to Miami. Or something. That's the time to remember, who are you? You yourself are owned by Allah. You're not entitled to make any of these demands. Whatever opportunity you and I have been given is a gift from Allah. And when He takes away, it's His to take away. It's not my place to complain. You know, in a consumer society, you own your money. You own it. 
And then when your money doesn't do what you want it to do, you have a right to complain. You're not supposed to be patient. You, why should I be patient? I paid for it. It's mine. It's an entitlement society. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon is entitlement belongs to who? Your, your title belongs to Allah. You yourself belong to Allah. Makes patience so much easier. Ya Allah, it's in your hands. I'm good. I didn't get to go home, return to my flight, return to my family or whatever, tonight that I wanted to because of whatever delays, but I'm going to return to you. I'm, that's who I actually belong to. No doubt about it, it is to Him alone that we have to return. This realization is such a relief. And it's easy to talk about during a dars, but when difficulty strikes, when, di- when, you, when your child's in the hospital, and you get to say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ We belong to Allah, Allah alone. And we have to go back to Him. Not only do you realize it for yourself, you realize it for your loved ones. But at the, at the death of a loved one, what do you say? إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ Why do you say that? You say that because you're accepting that they didn't, they didn't deserve to be on this earth. One more minute. One more second. I know that hurts to hear. They didn't deserve to live here any more seconds than Allah had written for them. Whatever they deserved, Allah gave them already. Why aren't they still alive? Why aren't they still with me? Why aren't they here? No. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un is the answer to all of that. When you say that meaningfully, then that's not a, and by the way, that's not a small thing to say. Reciting it, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, but why did he have to die? Happens, because you're emotional, right? But if you can truly, from the bottom of your heart, say that, that is something acknowledged by Allah at the highest levels. How do we know that? أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّن رَبِّهِمْ Those are the people on whom, not salah, you establish salah, اِسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ salah. Now it's been reciprocated. Salawat, plural. Salutations, prayers, connections will drop from Allah to you. Allah salutes you multiple times because you were able to say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ as one thing, previously we learned, remember me, I'll remember you. Remember that? That's where it started. That was the beginning point. وَذْكُرُونِي فَذْكُرُونِي أَذْكُرْكُمْ That's the base relationship. You mention me, I'll mention you. Now Allah gave us the toughest time to mention Him. When is the hardest time to mention Him? When calamity strikes. And what's the way to mention Him at that time? إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ So you just remembered Allah. What was the formula Allah gave? You remember Allah, Allah will remember you. And now he tells you how he will remember you. If you do this, how will he do dhikr of you? أُولَٰئِكَ عَلَيْهِمْ صَلَوَاتٌ مِّنْ رَبِّهِمْ وَرَحْمَةٌ Those are the people on whom salawat come from their Rabb. Rahma, love, care, mercy drops from their Rabb. Descends on them. Allah. All of that just from like, that perseverance, that sabr, that shukr. By the way, all of this is so beautifully connected if you noticed. When calamity strikes, and you're supposed to say with, from the bottom of your heart the right thing, it will require two things of you. It will require number one, sabr. And it will require number two, what? Shukr. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un At the death of a loved one, for example, on the one hand is sabr over that loss. Because it's not mine. It's Allah's. And shukr that Allah gave me all those moments with them. Allah kept them around as long as He didn't have to. He did that as a favor. That these, this person was a part of my rizq. That I got to enjoy them around me. That I had love for them and they had love for me. 
this gift that, that is priceless to me was something Allah gave and only Allah could have given. Like one of my teachers, his son had passed away and his mother, the, 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 the boy's mother was in deep depression and he told her, Allah gave us this toy and he let us play with it for 18 years. And we didn't pay a penny for it. And then Allah took what was His. It hurts. We have to have sabr. We should be grateful for what Allah gave. All our focus is on what Allah took away. And our focus should go on what Allah gave. That's what the Rasul was told. إِنَّا أَعْطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْثَرِ Right? Not إِنَّا أَخَذْنَا مِنْكَ وَلَدَكَ We took your son from you. No. We gave you kawthar. Focus on what Allah gave. That's when you get to say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ We belong to Allah. And to only Allah we will return. Those are the people upon whom salawat. Now something about salawat, because some words in Arabic, they are they have duality of meaning depending on who's using it. I'll give you an English equivalent, so this is easy to understand. When I tell my child, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you, girl. When I say that, there's a certain meaning to the word proud. But when a child or, or, or a young man says about his leader, his community leader, or about his country, I'm proud of my country, or I'm proud of my president. That's not going to happen anytime soon. But when you say, I'm proud of my president, is it the same tone with which a father said it to the son? No, because when, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a, someone in a position of authority expresses pride towards someone that is lower than them, that is a different implication of pride. But when someone in a lower position expresses pride of someone in... A higher position, or we're proud of our CEO. We're proud of our imam. We're proud of this, or we're proud of that. When, when we do that, there's a different sense, isn't it? The sense from the bottom up is one of respect and regard. One of honor and dignifying. From the top down, it is appreciation. You know, it's love and appreciation, acknowledgement, that, that kind of thing. Salawat is like that. We do salah to Allah. We have salah for Allah. But Allah also sends salawat on us. Now the salah we have to Allah, the bond we make with Allah, because the word salah comes from sila, connection. Salah also means dua, calling. The way we call on Allah is not the way Allah calls on us. There's two different things. So when Allah calls on us, as-salawat huna majazun fit taskiyat wal maghfirat. When Allah remembers you and sends His salawat upon you, what does it mean? He's purifying you. He's forgiving you. He's giving you everything that keeps you disconnected from Him. He's taking that away and He's just tying you to Him. And in doing so, He's giving you the ultimate love and care. And those are the people truly committed to guidance. What is Allah saying here? The test of whether or not you really, you and I really have guidance or not, when we really, really have gratitude to Allah or not, is when difficulty strikes. Our iman is only really tested with difficulty. Other than that, it's easy to claim iman. Times of easy, times of ease, it's easy. Times of difficulty is when Allah tests, how grateful are you now? How patient are you now? And if you can show me that, then you are ultimately committed to guidance. May Allah make us from al-muhtadeen. Now the last ayah for the day that I want to share with you is seemingly unrelated. إِنَّ الصَّفَا وَالْمَرْوَةَ مِنْ Safa and Marwa are from the great symbols of Allah. Sha'air comes from Sha'ira. Sha'ira means something that invokes your emotions, makes you conscious. Safa and Marwa, the markings of Safa and Marwa, are from the places that invoke great emotions about Allah, is what Allah is saying. 
فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ أَوْ اِعْتَمَرَ Whoever is going to do Hajj of the house or do Umrah فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَتَّوَّفَ بِهِمَا There's no harm on such a person that they should go around. Safa and Marwa also do tawaf of them also. Tawaf doesn't mean go in a circle. Tawaf means make a round trip. Go back and forth. So you go back and forth around the Kaaba in more of a circular motion. You go back and forth around Safa and Marwa in more of a long motion, right? But it's still tawaf. Okay? وَمَنْ تَطَوَّعَ خَيْرًا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ شَاكِرٌ عَلِيمٌ And whoever wants to volunteer and do more, or whoever wants to volunteer to do any good, khayran could be general also, and in addition, any good you want to do, then Allah is appreciative, shakir. This is another one that has reciprocity. When I'm shakir, I'm grateful. When Allah is shakir, He's appreciative. It's something else. It has a different meaning. Okay, Alim, and Allah knows what you've been doing. What is Safa Marwa doing here? Safa and Marwa are from the great symbols of Allah. By the way, Marwa, which the Jews mispronounced deliberately, Mura was the place where Ibrahim salam was to be sacrificed. The sacrifice, or Ismail salam was to be sacrificed in this area. So when we're running around here, one of the things we're commemorating is actually the sacrifice. The other famous story, which inshallah I'll share the text with you next time, is of course the story of Hajra and Ismail. Right? Which is ironic because this is the same place where his life was saved, as the same place his life is supposed to be taken. Right? Because mother saves his life, and Allah miraculously pulls out the, you know, the, the zamzam water. And later on, Ibrahim is supposed to slaughter him right there, where he remembers how Allah saved him, and Ismail is taken, by the way, this is where Allah is going to take you to. <laughs> you know? Now if you think about this story, what are the trials Allah just said we're going to have? We're going to test you with anything. Before that he said, don't say about the one who's been killed in Allah's path. Who was about to be killed in Allah's path? Ismail. Then he said, I'll trust you with all kinds of things. Like what? Hunger. Were they hungry? Were they hungry in that trial? Yeah. Wal-khawf. Wal-khawfi wal-ju'ah. Fear and hunger. Were those things there? min al They had no money, nothing left? Wal-anfus. Were there any people around? No. Wal-thamarat. Are there any fruits in the area? <laughs> That story is the ultimate case study of وَلَا نَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَالنَّقْسِ مِنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ It's the ultimate case study of الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ It's incredible. What did I say in the beginning of this dars? Allah takes this abstract idea and gives you a practical exercise. What's the practical exercise that will make you and I remember inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un no matter what's happening? The story of Safa and Marwa. Go back and forth and run and remember that in your life there's going to be something you're running desperately to catch. Something you're running desperately to find. Some relief. Something you're running away from or something you're running towards. And that's when you're gonna have to remember only Allah brings relief. Allah controls life and death. And it could be that a knife which is supposed to cut, Allah will refuse for it to cut. And a desert that's supposed to dry you to death is going to produce water. That's what's going to happen. What's remarkable to me also in this incredible, incredible sha'ira of Allah, a symbol of Allah Azza wa Jal, is on the one hand, Ibrahim alayhi salam, it's so beautiful that his entire family is honored in the Qur'an. The building of the Kaaba honors Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam. This Safa and Marwa 
honors even hajra. Because now we're following the sunnah of a woman. Aren't we? Men, listen to that carefully. We're following the sunnah of a woman when we run back and forth. Because a woman did that running, didn't she? That's incredible that in, in it there are so many lessons. Not only are we honoring the sunnah of a, of a wonderful woman, our mother, we're honoring the sunnah of a an abandoned woman who's in a desperate situation. In doing so, Allah Azza wa Jal actually honored all abandoned women in desperate situations. One of the things that's supposed to come into the mind of every Muslim when they run between Safa and Marwa is how they have to go out of their way to support women in desperate situations, mothers in desperate situations, you know, children in desperate situations. If there's a reason that women and children in particular are highlighted. Notice the beginning of Surah An-Nisa. Allah Azza wa Jal, once He describes, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ الَّذِي تَسَأَلُونَ بِهِ وَالْأَرْحَامِ Have taqwa of Allah, in whose name you ask each other things, and have taqwa of the wombs. When you say wombs, you've actually mentioned two people. You've mentioned the mother, and you've mentioned the child. Notice in the next ayah, by the way, in that ayah, there's also man and woman. Right? يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ مِن نَفْسٍ وَاحِدًا وَخَلَقَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا So men and women are mentioned in the first ayah. In the very next ayah, وَآتُوا الْيَتَامَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ Give orphans. Take care of the orphans. Women, orphans. Women, desperate women, desperate children. These are the primary recipients of our care. And Allah shows their care, He took care of them, so taking care of them becomes a sunnah of Allah. And whoever can do that, these are the sha'air of Allah. You know when Allah says, Safa and Marwa are the sha'air of Allah, they are the symbols that remind you of Allah. You know what that means? Destitute women and, and uh, desperate children from around the world are symbols of Allah. They are reminders of Allah. Honoring them is like honoring the, the, the incident of Safa and Marwa. It's so profound. It just changes your perspective on the world. Changes your perspective on your own Umrah or Hajj. What in the world are we doing? It's not green light, let's run. Yellow light, let's slow down. Where's the rocky part? There's just a glass here now. I want to climb on a rock. It felt so cool when I was little and I used to go on top of the rock. You know? This has become artificial. This entire exercise has lost its spirit. You know? And of course, take selfies. Very important, you know. It's literally nafsis, <laughs> you know, just all about our own self. There's nothing else left, just the nafs. It's you know. So so what I wanted to just conclude with in this ayah is that Allah has tied everything that came before Muslims being ready to struggle, struggle to fulfill the rights of this house. Allah is telling us that even before this house was built, this area and what its, its blessings are supposed to be have always been surrounded with desperate struggle. Its beginnings are desperate struggle. Its beginnings are you know, unthinkable trials. And now you, the Ummah of Muhammad wasallam, have a chance to fulfill and you're going to be tried too. Just like the inaugural ceremony of this house was tried. You're gonna to have to try to. By the way, one thing I didn't mention, there were Isaf and Naila, some narrations tell us that there were pagan idols uh, of Isaf and Naila. 
Uh, it's a pretty ugly story about them that these two, this guy and girl went to the Kaaba, they were kind of wild, and they started becoming intimate just as a de- act of defiance, like they're going to do the bad thing uh, in, in front of the Kaaba. And so God punishes, this is not from Islam, this is from Jahiliya times, the story. And God punishes them and turns them into statues, this, this man and this woman, okay, who were about to engage in the act. And so they put one of the statues on Safa and the other statue on Marwa. And because this was an act of defiance against the other gods that were there, the Quraysh and the other idol worshippers would go around the Kaaba, but they stopped going to Safa and Marwa. Because those two idols that were defying the, the older gods were there. So this practice of Safa and Marwa was abandoned for, for, for centuries. Allah says, these are sacred symbols of Allah. There's no harm in you doing tawaf of them. If the Muslims are going to do tawaf of them, what are they going to have to destroy first though? Those idols. All this elaborate instruction about hajj, and yet we have no access to the Kaaba. This is my last point to you today. This elaborate description of how you make sure you take care of you know, the sha'ir of Allah, and Safa and Marwa, I hear the feelings you're supposed to have if you're going to do hajj or umrah. فَمَنْ حَجَّ الْبَيْتَ أَوِعْتَ Whoever does hajj of the house or umrah. Muslims can't do either one yet. And they're not going to be able to do it until a very long time. This is the one of the earliest revelations in Medina. And we have a few years ahead of us before we ever even get close. And when we do get close, we're sent back home. You know that, right? And pretty much all of the ayat about hajj were revealed well before then. You know how you hear sometimes in lectures, listen to this carefully, you hear in lectures, we must act on every ayah of the Qur'an. We must learn the Qur'an and put it into practice. You heard this before? Because if we don't, we are hypocrites. Quran came, told the believers to do hajj. Did they do it right away? No. There was a time and a place. There was a time and a place. Allah showed them, you will get there eventually. And when the opportunity comes, here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Not everything in the Quran... You do right away. Let me tell you something. There are the way to think about this, the way to frame your mind about this. Quran says, here's what you do when you get married. Instructions for married life. Does that mean you have to get married? No. Not necessarily. Quran says, here's the instructions for divorce. Does that mean you have to get divorced? Because if you don't get divorced, you're never going to live those ayat. Quran says, here's how you slaughter an animal. Does that mean you have to slaughter an animal? Does it? Do you have to slaughter an animal? Each of you. Sorry. Quran talks about loans. Here are the instructions for how you take a loan. Does that mean you have to take a loan? No. What does that mean? You are going to have different situations in life, right? When the situation presents itself, turn back to Quran. If you're in this situation, do this. If you're in that situation, do that. Isn't it? When you're about to get married, seek Allah's guidance for what? Marriage. If you're going through a divorce, seek Allah's guidance for divorce. If you're going to go into a business, seek Allah's guidance for business. Isn't that what it is? But can you possibly put every single ayah of the Qur'an into action? No. Did Allah ask you to do that? No. This is a slogan we made up. That's easy to text people. We must put the Qur'an into action. Quran is put into action according to time, place, and circumstance. Not every circumstance is for every human being. 
Not every circumstance applies to every human being. The Hajj circumstance didn't exist for the Muslims yet. When it existed, it applied. Even today, somebody is in a state of, they, they don't have enough money. And they, there's no way for them to make that money. Right? And if they do try to make that, then there are some people who barely make enough to you know, survive for their family. And if they're going to save for Hajj, somebody's going to have to go hungry. What should they be doing? Saving for Hajj? Or feeding? Feeding. No, no, but the ayah says you have to go to Hajj. Yeah, but it says, man istataha. Whoever's capable. You're not capable. Relax. Why are you putting on yourself what Allah didn't put? May Allah Azza wa Jal give us a better and better understanding of His book. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Qur'an across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G.